Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hi, my name is Grigor Dimitrov, and you're listening to Tennis Podcast. Hi, I'm Mats Villander, and you are listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, and welcome to The Tennis Podcast. I'm Catherine Whitaker, and uh, I've tried to find someone better to speak to this week, but I failed, and so I've had to resort to uh, my old co-host, David Law. David, how are you doing? I'm very well, but um, I'm, I'm rather offended, uh, having driven all the way to come and see you after all this time, and that's the sort of greeting I get. Finally, we're back together, and not only are you giving me stick, I'm not even presenting the show anymore. We are back at the uh, shopping centre in Putney where we have recorded the podcast before. It's becoming a bit of an old haunt for us, isn't it, David? Yeah, this is, uh, this is where we do our best work. That, that's my suspicion, and uh, you're going to hear that now over the next uh, 20 or 30 minutes. Uh, and also, you're going to hear some of the world's greatest predictions, courtesy of myself. And if you go to facebook.com forward slash the tennis podcast, that is where we're going to be doing our daily predictions on tennis tournaments around the the world and Catherine Whitaker, we've got a league table. We have, and I'm happy you've uh, promoted those predictions because they're going remarkably and surprisingly well so far, aren't they? I mean, it can only go downhill from here. Well, you speak for yourself. Mine are going really well, and uh, yours are going okay because you're copying mine. And so, well, same old, really. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's going to be the. Uh, the challenge over the next however months we have left of the tennis year to see who's going to be the better predictor so get your predictions in as well and take us on we've uh, we've established a bit of a, a points system haven't we we've we've of course not in any way copied uh, the system of uh, mark lawrenson's predictions on the bbc not at all no copyright issues there whatsoever we've established our own very unique point system which i think is a point for correctly predicting the winner of the match overall a point for correctly predicting the number of sets and then a point for each additional set where the game score is correctly predicted. Is that is that what we've decided on? Yeah, that's about, about the gist of it, yeah. And so far, after two two matches, so it's, it's early days, frankly, after two matches, we are on four points apiece, having both correctly predicted the result and set scores of Dimitrov Kyrgios we'll come on to that in a minute and what was our first match it was it was Djokovic Bagdatis so first match probably an easier one to predict but hey how about uh, Kyrgios Dimitrov last night oh well it was um I, I have to say, uh, being the uh, the man of an age that I am, I actually had to go to bed halfway through it. Um, so, uh, yeah, basically I, I, I listened to the latter half of it on Five Live Sports Extra where uh, the team are out there, Russell Fuller and Philip Sturd and Chris Dennis all commentating on that match. So uh, go and listen to, to their coverage over the next week or so if you can. Uh, I saw the first... Uh, uh, 
set on BT Sport, getting all my clients in, do you notice, into this particular play. He's such a pro, isn't yeah, he? well, you know, I know what I'm doing. And, uh, yeah, so, but I mean, no, it wasn't on BT Sport. Of course, the women's tour is on BT Sport. What on earth am I saying? However... He's not had much sleep recently, everyone. No, that's right. Uh, but, no, I saw... No, here's what happened yesterday in my tennis, tenni- television watching and radio listening life. I watched Heather Watson at six o'clock. Hence my confusion and uh, mistake there on the podcast. When you're watching as much tennis as we are, it's hard to keep track sometimes, isn't it? That's right, yeah. And uh, thereafter, I then switched to watch the first set on, yeah, I'll say it, Sky Sports, even though I don't work for them, I watched on Sky Sports uh, where Peter Fleming was commentating uh, alongside Mark Petchy. And no, I mean, it was was good fun. Uh, It was great fun to watch um, uh, Kyrgios and, uh, and Dimitrov, you know, fighting it out and... Actually, both. I mean, it was it was a pretty drab first set, but it was it showed what they're all about. I mean, there was you know, if you were out on social media yesterday, everybody was talking about this. Everybody was looking forward to it. People were using terms like popcorn again. We don't, we don't use that term here, David. Not on the tennis podcast, you know unless Brad, Gilbert, Brad Gilbert's a guest. Yeah, well, he's allowed to say whatever he likes. Uh, but actually, somebody did call it this is my absolute favorite somebody called it a potential popcorn match how can it be a potential popcorn match you've, you've got your popcorn ready but not you've not put it in the microwave yet you're going to see how things play out before you actually put the popcorn in the microwave yeah so you don't actually dive in until it starts getting good is what you say you, you prepare your popcorn it's like some people calling uh, a, a difficult second round match a potential banana skin it's either you step on it or you don't. It's not potential. Couldn't agree with you more, David. You struck upon my commentary bugbear. The potential banana skin is my number one commentary bugbear. A banana skin, you don't necessarily have to stumble on a banana skin. It's there. You, you, can, you can swiftly glide past it or you can fall on it. Yeah, OK. So that's uh, our, our bugbears put to bed. Um, what else was I doing? Yeah, and then uh, the rest of uh, the match with Kyrgios and Dimitrov, will it? OK, the set's... Uh, order was different to what we expected but it was more or less I think as we anticipated three sets Dimitrov the winner for the reason in my view that he's just his game is tighter currently than Kyrgios's game and I think at the moment Kyrgios is going to struggle when he takes on uh, and we've seen it against players like Murray I think he will struggle against um, Djokovic as well these precision players who hit down the lines with uh, you know, not giving him much to work with, not giving him many short balls. Um, you know, you can think, well, why did he beat Nadal? I think Nadal wasn't as confident, actually, as as, as he as he would be on other surfaces, and that's not to take away anything from Kyrgios, but he gave him just enough looks for Kyrgios to to jump on him. And I, I think you know, give Kyrgios two years, and and you may have a different proposition, fitness permitting. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think it's a good marker for them both because it's one thing Kyrgios taking on somebody like Nadal at Wimbledon last year where he's a complete underdog going in and surprises everybody. But that Kyrgios Dimitrov is billed as, you know, tennis to come. This is, this is what we've got to look forward to over the next five to ten years. This is one of, going to be one of the rivalries, hopefully, uh, if things play out as everyone's, uh, everyone's expecting and hoping. And that was Dimitrov a couple of years ago, wasn't it? He, was, he had all the game, but he, he wasn't as tight. So I think it's good to see Dimitrov, a uh, good mark of Dimitrov's progress. We know he's not there yet. We, we know he's not where we've, 
predicted that he will eventually go, but he is now that more experienced, better match player compared to a, a Kyrgios who's just coming up and needs to tighten up his game for those sorts of matches. No, I, I would say so. I, I would say Grigor is going through a, a bit of a, a stumble just at the moment. I think his his Australian Open was 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 excellent. That performance he put in against Murray, although the rest of the tournament was was not entirely convincing. But but I I saw the match he played against Ryan Harrison, which he, he lost in the third set heavily. I think he lost a six love set, and he was all over the place, to be quite honest. But you know, I don't. I don't really read too much into that. I, I, I think he needs to produce on this sort of stage, and you know you're going to throw in the odd bad week, um, and he needs to com- keep progressing. I think Kyrgios. The other thing, and I didn't even think of this when, when doing the predictions, because actually when when Dimitrov won the first set, I was thinking actually this should be straight sets, really, because Kyrgios hasn't played since the Australian Open. He's been injured he's not done a thing he's gonna be rusty saw Chilich lose 6-4-6-4 having not played all year it's too much to expect I think for these guys to just come out and play perfect tennis right from the off Um, and actually Kyrgios has done very well to to do what he's done I think in Indian Wells. We're not worried yet for Dimitri Bobby it's a bit of a rough time but we still believe. Oh yeah I mean um, you know he looked great yesterday um, but I, I, all the raw materials are there. I, th- I do think occasionally, and we are the most guilty of all of this, of, of just assuming that it's a foregone conclusion that this guy will win Grand Slams. It is not easy. Look at the era, for goodness sake. And it's not just the young players are exciting, not only Kyrgios, Kakanakis and Chorich. And, and I actually put on Twitter the other day, who, who is the one of those that's going to... I can't even pick. Who, who I think is going to be the, the, the most exciting of them all. They've all got so much Zverev as well, and, and, and there are others. And then you've still got the strongest generation of tennis players we've probably ever known, who are still doing just fine. Even Roger Federer, at the age of 48, is doing fantastically well. You know. Steady. Crikey. <laughs> Crikey. OK, uh, you mentioned uh, Heather Watson there. We've got to talk about her, haven't, she, haven't we? Because she's had her first win over a top-ten player uh, in Agnieszka Radvanska yesterday. How excited can we get as a result of her performances this week? I, I would say, I would use the word encouraged more than excited. Not to say that it isn't exciting that she's just beaten her first top-ten player, because it is from a British standpoint. I would say that I don't think Agnieszka Radvanska is actually playing particularly well at the moment people are beating her and I'm not trying to take anything away from Heather Watson she went out there and did the job plus it was her third one in a row Um, but this is what I would expect Heather Watson to be able to do actually Uh, not necessarily beat Radvanska regularly on on her when she's on a game but when she's not on a game Watson is good enough absolutely to beat her and she did I think the question mark is now and uh, we, we put this on Twitter, didn't we? How, how good is she? How, what is her ranking capability? I, I think it's top 20. I think she could get inside the top 20. I'm not convinced she can get inside the top 10. Not, and you know, she might do. Um, she's really solid. She does everything well, but she hasn't got one killer shot. She's, got, she's hitting the ball a heck of a lot harder than she used to. Um, but it's a strong strong generation in the women's game as well at the moment I mean you look around and 
Um, even the player she's going to play in the next round, uh, Carla Suarez Navarro, is just solid, rock solid, and it's tough to beat her. She's going to have to play well. Um, you know, and then the, uh, look around at these players Bouchard, Pliskova, exciting player we're going to talk about, Muguruza, who Pliskova beat, uh, Madison Keys. You know, add to that the ones that are already in there, and, and people like Azarenka coming out from, from the back and um, from a lower ranked position, Wozniacki and Ivanovic and, uh, and Sharapova, Serena, Halep. There's so many players. I do think Heather Watson could get to the top 20 one day, but. She hasn't been inside the top 30 yet, so, you know, I think to get excited, she needs to win her next match and then maybe even win another one. But, you know, it's a big ask. I would agree with you there. I think she's there's very obvious limits on her game, which I'm sure she would acknowledge herself. I mean, she can absolutely max, maximise the assets she's got. Her her mental toughness is obviously one of those. She's got a fantastic record coming back from being a set down, hasn't she? She's really she's good at hanging tough, and she's good at grinding out a match. And I think she'll be the player that nobody wants to play when they're not feeling 100% or not quite on their game. But whether she can be the player that, that beats the top players when they are on their game, I think I think that's probably a bridge too far. But if she can establish a level of consistency, I think I'd agree with you. I think she could hover around about, you know, 15 to 20. But she's going to need to be producing tennis like this week regularly. i tell you one, one area I would disagree with you is that she would acknowledge any elements that she's not capable of. I think she's perfectly believes in herself and I, I think actually I think she maybe even believes she's better than she is which I think will actually probably carry her to wins that she might not otherwise achieve but I, I mean look it's only a personal opinion but I think the, the woman can get inside the top 20 which would be a fantastic achievement I think it really would it really would given given her given her raw ability I think and the fact that she doesn't have those big weapons especially in what I see is a little bit of an emerging era of I, this the serve for me this year in on the women's game seems to be more dominant than the, the serve seems to be a bigger feature of the women's game this year than it's been uh, in the past I mean looking back on the Australian Open final I mean Serena I mean she had everything else as well but she won that pretty much on serve alone Carolina Pliskova you touched upon there she's leading the the women's tour for aces this year it's a huge weapon for her the serve really seems to be prominent in the women's game um, I mean what do you make of Carolina Pliskova she's she's reached I think she was up to 13 coming off the back of finals in Dubai had a bit of a tough week in Doha but then I think she uh, she organised her schedule for this year, not expecting to be reaching finals. I think she's um, probably overplayed a bit this year because she's been getting to the weekends of tournaments when she wasn't expecting to. So she might have to readjust her schedule, looking at look at, for the rest of the year. How good do you think she can be? I think she is probably, I agree, overplaying uh, or has overplayed a little bit and I understand it. I think when players break through they don't necessarily know how much to play but I, I think she's fantastic. I love watching Carolina Pliskova. I love the ease with which she hits the ball. It just comes out of the sweet spot of the racket so many times and it's, and it's done with what looks like the minimum of ease. It's minimum of ease? That's not right, is it? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm letting that get past my grammar senses, David. Carry on. <laughs> with the minimum of difficulty, she hits the ball beautifully uh, with the maximum of ease. <laughs> and, uh, and she, 
Well, the one thing is she, she's not that intense. She's quite languid out there. And I sometimes think she almost looks not that bothered, but she clearly is bothered. And I find her really exciting to watch. Uh, I, re I, I really hope she goes on and, and makes the absolute most of her career. Well, that demeanour pays off, doesn't it, in the tight situations, because she's incredibly good at keeping her cool, isn't she? Which, you know, if she does start getting into the second weeks of Grand Slams, you know, that could very much play in her favour. Yeah, and what's interesting about her is that she has a twin sister, um, Christina, who isn't having anything like the, the same level of results. And that must be tricky. I remember reading an interview with Pliskova saying that she was getting, a pro or her sister was getting approached during Sydney when she reached the final and played Kvitova. And people were saying to her sister, well done, you know, uh, for your results. And they were talking about Carolina. And that, that must be hard, you know, for the relationship. And I mean, I think that they are, they know enough to, to, to not worry about it. But, you know, it's, um, it's, it's not an easy situation, but uh, Pliskova is a player, I think, that can go far. Absolutely, I'd agree with you. Just before we move on to discuss one of the biggest issues in tennis this week, or one of the biggest stories in tennis this week, which is, of course, Serena Williams' return to Indian Wells, just quickly going through uh, Twitter, what people have been saying on Twitter about Heather Watson. People generally seem to agree with us, some going even further. FKA Simon saying he thinks she can get to the top 10. It'll take work, but what I've seen this tournament leaves me in no doubt she can contend the bigger titles I think possibly we'd be a bit more hesitant than that but uh, Kyle Taylor you talked me into it I'm with you don't worry <laughs> just, just ignore the last 10 minutes Kyle Taylor says uh, with tennis like that there's no reason that she can't be top 15 all about consistency well I think we'd certainly agree that for her it is going to be all about consistency and Joe Dabernig, Dabern I'm not as experienced as you with pronunciations, David, so I'm just going to plough on. Joe Dabernig, many apologies if I've, if I've got this wrong, but he always thought that if Heather had Laura's game, presumably Laura Robson there, she would be top five, just don't think she has a big enough game. I assume that's a reference to Heather's mental toughness and her ability to grind out matches. Not that Laura Robson doesn't have that mental toughness, but their games are just built on completely different building blocks aren't they you know Laura's game is built on around the serve and the big weapons Heather's game is built upon millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom like Evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me that wasn't an option I never really was a salad guy that's just not who I am but Noom worked for me Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tie break or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Grinding things out, scurrying around at the back of the court and just hanging tough in difficult situations. And, and, you know, it actually makes me think there is a really good idea for future podcast conversation and twitter interaction we need to have can create your perfect player out of just two things you can just you can only have two players and you need to combine them and to create a perfect player i used, I used to think imagine if you could stick Leighton hewitt's head on Marit Safin's shoulders or <laughs> sort of a player you would have there and, I, and I, I take the point if you could stick heather watson's head on laura robson's physique and left-handed ability my word what a player you would have and and I, I think that that's slightly unfair to both of them actually in in now that we've gone a couple of years I think I think that Heather Watson is actually a better player than I thought she was she was going to be I think she she's actually a lot more ambitious on the court and expressive and, and um, aggressive, assertive. She, she, she really does go after players now. Whereas when I first saw her in the Australian Open Juniors about six, six years ago, seven years ago, she was a, a scurrier. And that was the cornerstone of her game, which although I, think, I still think that's a, the platform for her game, there's a lot more ambition there now. Well said. Now then, Serena Williams, she's back at Indian Wells and it's great to see her back I'm sure everyone would agree there's been so much said so much reflection on the 14 years that she's she's been away from Indian Wells um, I think one of the most interesting things I've read about her return was actually um, an article in The Guardian I think it was actually a blog post in The Guardian saying that too many people have been using the term mature to describe her decision to return to Indian Wells this, the implication of that being that it's been immature of her to have stayed away this long when I think in fact it's been a, a very dignified stance that she's taken I think we have to be enormously respectful of both her and her sister's decision to have stayed away from that tournament so not that it's not a mature thing to do but there should be absolutely no implication I don't think that her decision not to play there for the period that she has done was immature No, she could have unquestionably just not played and I, I, I don't think too many people would have had a problem with that based on what, what happened that day I remember watching it and I remember feeling distantly uncomfortable watching it 
um, in terms of and, and the backstory to it is that the the Williams sisters were due to, to face one another in the semi-finals. The vanquished quarter-finalist Elena Dementieva was asked uh, who would win the semi-final and she said whoever their father decides and she said that she said in jest but it was taken seriously and uh, I mean it wasn't there wasn't the sole reason for that that uh, narrative at the time but it was certainly uh, it added to it and it was it was definitely a prevailing theme in the eyes of many people that that, that their matches were not competitive for reasons uh, that, that were something other than straight down the line and 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 it when Venus Williams then withdrew from their semi-final the crowd turned on Serena in the final uh, when she took on Kim Clijsters and it was a really uncomfortable moment and and, and for a start, and I have to say this, I you know I, I remember you used to have these conversations at the time about the Williams facing each other and the fact that their matches weren't often that good, and I and I just think, well, of course they weren't. Imagine playing against your own flesh and blood and trying to beat them. I know I find it difficult. Well, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and I mean, you know, I can tell uh, you find it difficult. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it is one of those things that by having success against your sibling you are making them unhappy unhappy that is not an easy thing to grapple with I think that they tried their hearts out within that arena and 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 it's not easy to do I think that they came to terms with it and they ended up having some great matches over the years but it's it's inevitable that it wouldn't be quite quite as easy to do it it's it, I, I couldn't agree with you more actually and I think it's interesting that she's made this decision alone Venus has not made the same decision she's obviously not ready yet to so she was sitting in the stands watching that day and, and considering they're two players that have made so many decisions together and are motivated by so many of the same factors I think it indicates how deeply personal and how deeply heartfelt the decision has been that Serena's taken it on her own and and it was handled with class I felt uh, the way she she did it. Wrote a, a self-penned article, explained exactly where she was coming from, and um, you know all credit to her. She came out there, played like the champion that she is. Played an absolute nightmare of an opponent in Monica Nicolescu, who has that a little dinky slice forehand that can cause everybody nightmares. But no, uh, fabulous decision. Uh, you know what? I'd love it if they retired together one day. It'd be a horrible moment in terms of the sport would lose them both at the same time but what a moment it would be if they did that and it would feel entirely fitting I think if they did because I, I can't speak highly enough of what they are still doing in the sport and, and, and that feeling for me has just grown over the years because of its longevity I think it's unbelievable that we are sitting here in 2015 18 years and more after they've well it's 18 years since um, since Venus reached her first Grand Slam final 18 years for goodness sake I can't believe it I wasn't even a teenager when she was, reached her first Grand Slam final not rubbing it in David barely one now <laughs> I, I couldn't agree with you more it's very, I know it's very boring us agreeing on everything but and I've got no insider information on this at all but I just think they might retire at the same time Venus has been very clear that her focus is Olympics next year, Olympics 2016. That's her next target to get to. Now, you know, health health might might intervene, but all other things being equal, I think that's what she's aiming for. 
and I, I just wonder if that's what they have I, I'd be surprised if it was a fully formed plan you know whether they've got the date or you know we're going to retire to, but I just wonder if that's what's in the back of both of their minds and I just wonder if that is I, I know Venus is still absolutely motivated to win she still loves tennis but I'd be surprised if she was still doing what she's doing if if her sister weren't out there on tour with her as well. I think it's a huge motivating factor that the other for each of them, the other one's still being out there. Yeah, I just the the, the one thing I'd add to that just before we we get on to her, comparing that to our other favourite and uh, top ranked comebacks to a tournament of all time, I I, I think Serena is going to want to break all the records first. Everyone, she's going to want to beat Steffi Graf. She's going to want to beat even Margaret Court. And I think she's probably going to do it. But does she want to do it without her sister by her side? I think Venus will hang on, hang on long enough. Interesting. God, it's so fascinating, wouldn't it, to, to look into a crystal ball and see how long it might take. So how, how long is Venus going to have to hang in there in order to stay on tour to see her sister break all the records? Two Maybe years. That... Two years. Two years to do it. David's putting his neck on the line. What on earth is happening here? You're not sitting on the fence. Now, this is normal fare for me. Anybody who's listened to the 100-plus episodes of the past, which are available uh, on the Tennis Podcast website, and do subscribe on iTunes and, you know, just make sure you listen every week and get on Twitter and get on Facebook and get into the predictions and laugh at Catherine when she gets them wrong. Tell you what, we've got a, I can tell you we've got a new subscriber this week because uh, my dad, who's sailing the high seas, he's, he's off to sail the Pacific, or he is sailing the Pacific, he is now a subscriber after lamenting for the past two and a half years of recording this podcast that my own dad isn't a blooming listener. He is now a listener and he's listening from far-flung places like the Panama Canal and the Galapagos Islands. So, uh, <laughs> hello, Dad, wherever on earth you are. Now then, uh, greatest comebacks ever. Serena has inspired us. And in fact, it was a colleague of yours, I think, that particularly inspired us. John Dolan. John Dolan, who's a long-time um, uh, expert in the field of uh, particularly women's tennis, actually worked on the on the WTA circuit for very many years and, and also worked with Kim Kleisters and just pointed out, you know, on the eve of Serena's comeback match at, the Indian, at Indian Wells, is, is this the most eagerly anticipated comeback to a tournament since Monica Seles in 1995 in Canada and, and, I, and it suddenly got me thinking you know is there anything that could compete with those two I mean I, I still think those two would probably be pretty much at the top of my list I think the other ones you know Agassi's had so many comebacks which one do you choose um, going right back from winning Wimbledon in 1992 and then having time out from a wrist problem coming back in Hamburg on grass uh, not in Hamburg in Halle rather on grass uh, just a year later ahead of his Wimbledon defence and then the, joining up with Brad Gilbert who we heard from in the, the episode a couple of uh, weeks ago and then, of course, the, the ultimate, winning the French Open in 1999, nine years after reaching the final for the first time, when, when he thought his chances had passed. And there he was in the fifth set against Andre Medvedev, just in tears, winning it. And, uh, and, it was an ex- and, and winning it from two sets to love down. Wow, that was amazing. Um, but Selesh would be my number one because... Um, when I was first interested in tennis, first following tennis properly, she was at the top of the game and vying with Steffi Graf. And I thought, I thought Celis was 
although not maybe as aesthetically pleasing as some players, she was the best tennis player I'd ever seen on the women's game. I mean, she was just awesome. Even better than Graf in terms of the, their ability. Just she had no seeming weakness on the, on forehand or backhand. And, and then to, to be taken out of the game the way she was and, and damaged uh, so much by, by what happened to her uh, psychologically and emotionally and mentally was, was devastating. And, um, and for her to come back and actually win Grand Slams again, and I, I mean, it was so inspiring. I mean, it was, but it was more than a couple of years later. You know, it's a long time to be out of the sport. Um, the, the one of the one that just I wanted to mention because I've just looked at, up the activity of Kimiko Date Krum, who in 1995 reached the French Open semi-finals and, and was part of the WTA finals. 1995. Then you look at the activity and they do a little drop-down menu. The next entry is 2008. That's 13 years later. She didn't play for 13 years. And then she plays one little ITF futures event in Japan and had to go into qualifying for an ITF futures which she got through and ended up reaching the final she had to play eight matches to get to the final of this futures event and managed to get herself right back to the upper echelons of the game I mean and playing the game in her 40s I mean wow and there she still is. You're quite right. She she deserves a mention. She does. She, she deserves a lot more mentions than she gets in tennis. Frankly, I know she's she's huge in Japan and deservedly so. But she is just an extraordinary individual. I, I'm afraid. Well, not afraid. I mean, I, I I agree with you. I don't think there's anywhere to look apart from Monica Sellers. I'd be surprised if any comeback in tennis can 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 really rival that one. Um, I'd go so far as to say sport, really. I mean, what she went through is just the most extraordinary, harrowing, something that we can't really come to come to any sort of terms with, having not been through it. And then an element of it that I hadn't realised was that her fellow players on the WTA Tour had to vote on whether she got an extended protected ranking. And they all, with the exception of Gabriella Sabatini, voted for her not to receive a protected ranking in those circumstances, which is quite, I mean, I'm sure they all had their reasons, but just hurdle after hurdle that she was confronted with during that period of her life. And I did a, an event with her for the first time, a Champions Tour event in Belgium last year. And she's a wonderful, inspiring, well-grounded, lovely human being, but obviously still, 20, more than 20 years later, deeply affected on a day-to-day -day basis by what happened to her. And that's, you know, not having to go out onto a tennis court every day. Just two years later, what it must have taken for her to walk back out onto a tennis court, I, I can't really wrap my head around that, um, let alone to get back to winning Grand Slam titles as she did in at the Australian Open just months after her comeback and I think she reached the US Open final losing to Steffi Graf the month after her comeback it's all just mind-bogglingly impressive frankly. It, it is and I'll just say and it's it's you know it, it pales into insignificance because achievement on a tennis court is irrelevant compared to physical mental and health and happiness um, and which I hope she has found but I believe if that had not happened to her, the way we are talking about Serena Williams now, we would have been talking about her. I think she would have had the sort of numbers on the board that 
Serena Williams now has. Very interesting. Sliding doors of tennis, isn't it? What might have been. Uh, we've asked for your um, input into the greatest comebacks of all time. Now, we decided that the definition of the sort of comebacks we are specifically talking about here are comeback-defining events. So you'd probably call French Open 99, Andre Agassi's comeback-defining event, Sellers at the Canadian Open 1995, um, lots of mentions of Kim Clijsters' 2009 US Open. It was only her third event back. She had been away from the tour two full years. She had had a child, for goodness sake. I mean, neither you nor I can talk from personal experience of what it takes to have a child, be, be just a mum for two years, and then come back and be a Grand Slam champion. Well, that's where you're wrong, Catherine. I can't, no, I can't. Uh, but you're absolutely right. Um, and, uh, no, it is fantastic what she's managed to, uh, to, to achieve and in, in that comeback. And it was great to have her back. It was great to have Enan back for a, for a short while as well. I mean, Hingis was another one who had a long time out of the game and, and missed um, probably three or four years and then made a comeback. I remember her beating Vera Zvonareva in her first Australian Open match back after a, uh, after a long time out. And it was just a joy to watch that kind of tennis again and use of angles and strategy in a way that maybe wasn't being used at the time. And uh, no, there's, there's been some fantastic comeback stories, but I think the ones you've mentioned are the most salient. Absolutely. Susie Reed, Tommaso Scarpa, Clara Timova, all, all saying Kim Kleisters. And uh, I must also mention that David Levy, our one-time co-podcaster. He will be back. He will be back one day when we let him. His three suggestions are Monica Sellers, already touched upon, Mardi Fish, who absolutely deserves a mention wonderful to see him at indian worlds this week bowing out of tennis on his own terms well that's if he decides to bow out i mean he 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 was competitive enough the other day to make to make me think he if he fancies a comeback he can do it interesting well well i mean there are other factors at play there aren't there but i mean certainly wonderful to see him back on the tennis court and uh, Dave Levy's third selection is, selection is Frank Sinatra so I think we did need to be a bit more clear about what the parameters <laughs> of the discussion were or, may, or maybe he's just completely missed the point altogether but thanks for that anyway Dave always always nice to get your thoughts I think there's probably countless other comebacks I know you I know you wanted to mention Borg in 91 and a couple of people on Twitter mentioned that as well loads of others John McEnroe Andre Agassi we've touched upon Thomas Muster, I mean, he's had two. He, he came back to tennis at the age of 42. What was he thinking of? It's not too late for you yet, David. Um, but anyway, a fantastic discussion point. I've enjoyed it very much, David. I hope you have too. Yeah, it was good fun, wasn't it? Will you let me present this thing again? No, absolutely not. I've not enjoyed it at all. But uh, maybe, maybe once every year we'll let you present it and next week and the week after. Well, I've enjoyed it enough for both of us and uh, we'll see you again soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view. 
an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.